1 through 5. <clears throat> and um, before I read that uh, text to you today, um, I'd like to pray. And I, I want to explain, um, before I read it, uh, I got new glasses this week. And, uh, you know, plus I got to walk down these steps in a few minutes. So um, uh, if I get tripped up, it's because um, I don't have a speck or a log in my eye, but um, it is, it is a, a challenge to get used to this. Growing older is just the best. So... In light of that, uh, let me pray, and then uh, we'll uh, jump in here this morning. Lord, um, thanks today for uh, this word. And uh, Lord, I, I can only imagine as you sat on that mountainside and you looked into the faces of the people that were before you, and you saw boredom, you saw anger, you saw anxiety, you saw judgment and fear, uh, you saw people who were overwhelmed, and yet you spoke clearly, directly, lovingly, and gently uh, to um, those folks and today to us. Lord, thanks uh, that uh, our sin does not overwhelm you. But in fact, uh, you see us for who we are, and you are impelled and compelled to pursue us. So I pray today that you would help us, uh, that the Spirit would uh, open our eyes and ears to the truth of the Word, uh, and that uh, you would change us. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Matthew 7, 1-5. The text is in the bulletin also up on the screens behind me. This is God's word. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a, the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So one of the things that uh, people have misinterpreted this passage about for years and years and years is to say that, well, then what this basically is saying is I can do whatever I want to do, and you can do whatever you want to do, and we just leave each other alone. That's not what he's saying. Uh, the other thing that we tend to think about this passage is that, um, you know, uh, uh, that all judgment is bad, is wrong, except, you know, Jesus is clearly presented to us numerous times in the scripture as a judge, so we have to, we have to take that seriously. So the, the, the thing is, you know, the, the, the issue for us is, is that uh, we are uh, usually very quick, almost on hair trigger, to judge. And we kind of just live in an environment where we're judging all the time. Uh, 
I am big, big judger. I judge all the time. And I'll give you a great example. This is a nuclear example, so bear with me about judging. You know, during the last season when we uh, uh, wore masks, I would wear my mask till I got up here to preach. Uh, and then I would put my mask back on and I would meet first-time visitors to the church who weren't masked. Now, this is how my judgment works. I would look at them and I think, this is really awkward. I don't want to talk to them because, guess what? I think they're judging me because I'm wearing a mask. So I'm judging them, people I've never seen before. And I'm judging them because I think they're judging me. Now, if you've ever seen a dog chase its tail, that's what's going on, right? Or maybe you think, well, I'm going to hurry up and judge you before you can judge me because he who judges first judges best, right? No. So the, so the fact is, this is something that we do all the time, isn't it? And so I think the, the, the issue for us as we unpack this today is to, to understand that Jesus sees this about us, he knows this about us, and that's why he directs us uh, as he does uh, in, uh, in, in, in this text, in the sermon today. Now, the, 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 the question to begin, you can put my notes up there, Scott, is, is this question, I think, that really helps us get to the, um, to the, the passage. And uh, you, depending on how you um, uh, do the uh, punctuation on that question will tell you a lot. Who am I to judge? Or who am I to judge? Both questions are valid. Right? So let's, 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 uh, let's think about that. So who am I to judge? Well, Jesus says here who it is that we're judging. He uses the word brother three times. Three times. Now, one of the things for us to consider about this is, is that we are, Jesus is warning us about judging our own kin, our own spiritual kin, the people that he died for to put not just in a relationship with himself but to put in a relationship with us we tend to think about this language of brothers and sisters fathers and mothers in the faith as kind of quaint language and yet it is so important for us to begin there that the person and jesus is talking specifically about relationships within the church here the person that I'm judging within the church belongs to me. And I belong to them. Okay? In our, uh, uh, in, in, in our uh, system of government, uh, we, we have a presbytery, which is the collection of churches and pastors and elders, and they're the ones that make a lot of decisions. We're the ones that make a lot of decisions. When you're mad at the presbytery which never happens. But when you're mad at the Presbytery and you write them a letter, you don't say, hey, losers. 
you write by saying fathers and brothers. Now that you could get caught up in that, oh, that's, you know, funny language. You're like, no, it's not. Because before we begin any kind of confrontation, and we must confront, before we begin any kind of rebuke, and we must rebuke, before we go get the speck out of our brother's eye, and there's indeed a speck in his eye, he's our brother. Jesus finds him dear, just as he finds you dear. And in the very providence of God, he has put you together, right? And so, so at, the, at the very outset, what this means is, is that, that we, as we look at one another, as we deal with one another, something must be true about our judgment of one another first and foremost. And that's this, that I give you the benefit of the doubt. I give you the benefit of the doubt. Let me say that again. I give you the benefit of the doubt. I don't begin to think about you and approach you with, they always do that. Or you're just like that. Or you're one of those people. Right? And so, which, which is, you know, not only is that, you know, bad sociology, psychology, and that kind of stuff, it's a lie. Because that person belongs to you, and you belong to them. And so one of the things, I've thought about this often, you can ask Ann or Kristen about this for years. When our kids were in elementary school, uh, it was dread, the dreaded hour around here was between three and four. Because a number of times, the phone would ring. And it was the principal from school, the elementary school. And they never call you at 3.30 in the afternoon to say, let me tell you about how great your kid was today. <laughs> never, never, at least not my kids. And my kids, listen, Shelby's, you know, there are two kinds of people in the world, lawmakers, lawbreakers. And we're decidedly the latter. We love to break the law. If it says wet paint, don't touch. I'm going to touch it, right? If it says stay off the grass, you can't tell me that. I'm going to walk on the grass, right? So that's, they came by it honest. But we would, we, would have, we would have these conversations where I would sit down with the teacher, the principal, and the kid, and we'd have to hash this out. Now, am I being judged by the principal and the teacher? Am I judging them? Or is my kid thinking, when is this going to be over, right? I'm ju they're judging everyone. And so, so one of the things that I realized that as we would come to have those meetings, and they were necessary meetings, and sin needed to be addressed, and, and relationships needed to be restored, and, and reconciliation needed to happen. But the thing that I, that I recognized about that is, here we are gathered here, dealing with sin, dealing with brokenness, dealing with offense. But you know what? We belong to each other. We belong to each other. Not only, not only are we part of the same school, not our, only are we a part of this same group, but we're in this together uh, as believers in Christ, as family. And so, you know, families can fight, and they should, but at the end of the day, we all sit at the same table
And so the, the very beginning of this that we have to see about this is, is that the, the person that I am to go get the speck out of their eye is someone who belongs to me and I belong to them and we both belong to our Savior Jesus. And that's where we have to begin with this. And, and, and the thing about it is, you know, what, what you have to un- understand about this is that sometimes what happens to us when we approach this is, you know, we, we, we judge and we're tempted, oh, you know what, I, I know I have this vague sense that I'm being a little judgy. And so rather than take that to heart and try to figure out then how to process that and find a way to go and talk to the person or persons that you're judging and, and come at a conclusion uh, and a, a, re- a resolution to this, what we will often do is, let me see if I can find somebody else who also judges the same way I judge. And that way... I can feel a little less judgy because at least you're judging along with me. And I have a partner in my judgment, and we are part of the same group, so let's judge that person or those other people today. We have our own little party of judging here, right? So what's Jesus getting at? Well, Jesus is not saying you can't ever call sin a sin. You can't ever... uh, 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 say to someone that they're sinning. Because listen, one of the great things, one of the great blessings that we don't think often enough about or thank God often enough for is the fact that God places us in a community where we, as we fail, as we struggle, and as we live together, we know that there are people who will love us enough in the power and the grace of Jesus Christ to go to us and say, my brother, my sister, my father, my mother, you got a speck in your eye, right? So what what Jesus is is getting at here is, is not that we have a community where we never do that, not at all. But it is a community that is shaped by the gospel and the person who's doing the eye surgery first has their heart operated on by the Savior. In Galatians chapter 6, Paul addresses church discipline. He addresses what to do in a situation and how to think about what you do with folks who, who are in this situation that have a speck in their eye and, 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 and you have the responsibility to get it out. He says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, and this happens, right? We're sinners. With this, this, this may very well happen to us, right? You who are spiritual, and I've always wondered about that phrase, you know, is, is that tongue-in-cheek or is that, is that who, who, who's he talking about there, you know? But you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Gentleness. You know, gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit of God that we get by leaning into and trusting and taking uh, the word of the gospel to heart, right? And so, so this gentleness means that, that if someone's caught in any transgression, we should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted, right? 
bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Boy, is that ever true, right? But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. No comparison here. For each will have to bear his own load. Because Jesus, you know, has begun this sermon uh, by saying that the people who are blessed are those who recognize their spiritual poverty, who recognize first and foremost about themselves that they are nothing without the work of God for them, that they need God to be at work in them, to make them alive. They need Jesus Christ to do for them what they cannot do. They need the Spirit of God to work in them, to shape them, to redirect them, right? And so as you, as you begin to uh, unpack this, that is, the, that is the attitude and that is the heart where this, this begins uh, at, at the very uh, first place for us is that we recognize our own spiritual poverty, that, that we judge ourselves first. And, and that judging of ourselves doesn't go to something like, oh, I'm a sinner, so I can't say anything. No. No, what it means is, what it means is, is that you love this person enough to have the Spirit of God, to have the gospel, to have Jesus gentle you first, so that when you go to them, you're going to them from a place of weakness instead of strength. We hate weakness. Jesus loves it. He loves weakness, right? Uh, for years, I had a conflict with a guy, another guy in ministry, and we conflicted a lot, all the time. He's a dear friend. Uh, and, you know, that's one of the things you know that, you know, you, you can... Uh, I, I ask married couples this all the time, or, or couples in premarital counseling, you know, when was the last time you had a knockdown, drag-out argument with your spouse... And the whole time you kept saying to yourself, I love them and they love me while you're arguing. Can you do that? Yes, you can. Um, so I would have that with this guy. I love him. Uh, but we argued all the time. And so he came to me one day and it, bu you, it bugged both of us. It, we, were, we were bugged by the fact that we argued a lot. And he came to me one day standing at the back of a Presbyterian meeting and he says, I figured out what our problem is. I'm like, good. What is it? And he said, I think we're both very prophetic in the sense that we like to point out what's wrong and we like to point out sin and we like to do that. And so we, since we're both like that, we're so much alike that we rub each other the wrong way. Now, if you know me, you know that one of the things that I love is awkward silences. And so one began to transpire And, and finally, he says to me, uh, you just think I'm a jerk, don't you? <laughs> Another long silence went after that. No, I, I said, no, it's, it's, it's not that. I said, I think we're both jerks. And, but Jesus loves us, and he stood us here together. So let's see what he might do. To help us, right? So the, the thing about it is that, is that is the place where we begin uh, to, to address these things. And this is the, the spirit 
that we have that tends not just towards correction, certainly, but it also tends towards restoration, right? Now, let me just, let me be clear about a couple of things here. Uh, One of the things that's been very popular over the last couple of years is, uh, particularly on social media, is for people to to get angry and to get incensed and uh, to approach things without a spirit of gentleness towards their brothers and sisters. And the excuse is, hey, remember Jesus made a whip one day and he went into the temple and he turned over all the tables. That's what I'm doing. I'm like, you know, that's awesome. Jesus really did that. But he didn't do that every day. (laughs) Right? That wasn't something, you know, it wasn't his mission in life to go around doing that every day. And in fact, he lived in close proximity with 12 highly committed sinners who for the most part did not, even after living with him, didn't know who he was, didn't really understand what he was about, didn't really, didn't really get what, what he was doing, and, and, and get this, he could read their minds. He knew what they were going to say before he said it. Not because he's a smart aleck, but because he's God. And guess what? He could have spent every waking moment of every day saying, don't say that, stop thinking that, be quiet, Peter, Peter. (laughs) Now, sometimes he does rebuke. Sometimes he does say, fellas, cut that out, right? But not all the time. And certainly what his, his approach to them was, an approach that was laden with patience, with kindness, with gentleness, and with concern, right? Now, the problem with this is, you know, as I mentioned at the very beginning, that, that, that because you're my brother and because you're my sister, even though we may disagree on many things, I, I have to give you the benefit of the doubt. Now, you know, the, the thing about it is that is very difficult for me to give you the benefit of the doubt because... left to my own devices, I will get into my own head and convince myself that it, how is it even possible for you to be a Christian and say or do that? Right? Nathan, as we read earlier in the uh, uh, service, loved David enough to take the risk to very kindly and gently tell him a story to get David to see his sin. So how do we do that? What what needs to change in us to be able to be uh, spec getters, right? Well, the first thing is right here, next, next slide, is uh, Jesus tells us in Luke 18, to some who are confident in their own righteousness... And look down on everyone else. Boy, that's a, that's a really broad statement, isn't it? Jesus told this parable. So, um, yeah. So two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers. 
or even like this tax collector. <laughs> anyway, I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So what we, what we recognize there is, is that the first thing that needs to happen to us is, is what Jesus says is, you got to get that log out of your own eye, right? Now, let's, 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 one of the things that we miss about this, we're so familiar with this language of, of logs and specks, we don't see how funny this is. I mean, log, two by four, two by six, two by eight, two by 12, big stick sticking out of your eye. First of all, I can't get close enough to you with a stick like that hanging out of my eye to get the speck out of your eye, right? But secondly, how am I ever going to see the speck in your eye if I've got a two by four in my own eye? Now, when you get to a certain age, not only do you have funny glasses, but you get cataracts. And I've had two. If you want to know whether you're getting one, go out tonight, look at a street light. If you see a halo around it, you have a cataract, the beginnings of one. Well, let me encourage you to get your cataracts out, but let me tell you how it works. So you go in there and they knock you out with the Michael Jackson drug for about 10 minutes so that they can stick a needle in your eye and freeze it in place. That is the best drug ever because just people were screaming at the early service when I said stick a needle in your eye. And it's just numbed up. And then the doctor comes in and he cuts into your eye and takes the lens out. Now the, what they do is with a cataract is they bust that lens up first with a little pulse of an ultrasound thing. And you're awake, you're talking to the doctor. This is the weirdest thing. Now, if that doctor comes in there to cut on my eye, to take my bad lens out and put a new one in, and he's got a log in his eye, it's not going to work. <laughs> it's not going to work. I mean, I, I'm actually doing him a favor by saying, hey, doc, doc get, the, get the log out of your own eye before you go to get mine, right? So, so the fact of the matter is what, what Jesus is getting at here, to be able to be a good eye surgeon, to be, able to, to be able to do this, what needs to happen to us is we need to have ourselves humbled, brought low, uh, our own sense of self-righteousness weakened and destroyed so that when we look at the person who has, who has really sinned, who really has a speck in their eye, that we appropriate the grace that Jesus Christ gives to us, and the, that we appropriate the love that he has for us, that we appropriate the atoning sacrifice of Christ for us, and so that we go to that person to take that speck out of their eye, we have first been humbled, we have first been brought low by the fact that we are indeed sinners and perhaps worse sinners than the person to whom we go to get the speck. And thanks be to God, Jesus loved us enough to die for us to do this surgery on us to give us a sense of who he is, who we are, and who this dear brother or sister or father or mother is.
And so that's, that's, that is, that is, that's, that's where we have to begin with this is we have to see ourselves as someone who is always first and foremost the recipient of mercy. And the person who is the recipient of mercy never deserves the mercy. Mercy is for the undeserving. Right? So, so, and so to help us get at that, we, we first go to the gospel, we first go to Jesus, but then we go to ask ourselves the question, as Jesus is going to say a little bit later in the sermon is, you know, you want to do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? So what kind of judge, when it's time for you to be judged, do you want to be judged by? When you are caught in a sin, you know, that once in a million occurrence, when you have been caught in a sin, sin and, and you... Think rightly, I want somebody to love me enough to help me with this, to help me see my blindness, to point this out to me. How do you want them to do it? Right? Don't you want them to come to you with some kindness and some gentleness to put their arm around you and say, you know what, this, I know this is hard and I know this is challenging, but you know, this is, let's look at Jesus together here and let's get at what's going on in your life, right? And then lastly, what we have to see here is, is that we glory in the cross. We sing about it. We talk about it all the time. And it is at the cross where full atonement is made for our sins, where, as Kevin's already said, the wrath of God was exhausted on our sin. But what we also have to see about the cross is, is that the cross is about judgment, God is judging sin at the cross. He is judging our sin at the cross. And so we have to say as we look at that, that the cross criticizes us in the sense that this was what Jesus had to do because we were so far afield, that we were so broken, so deep in our rebellion. This is what, this is what Jesus did for us. But not only is this is what Jesus did for us, but Jesus did this for us so that we would be set free from the consequences of our sin, so that we could be restored, so that we could see ourselves clearly and therefore begin to see him clearly and see our brothers and sisters clearly. See, that's, that's what he's doing there at the cross. So those of us who, who take Jesus at his word, what's happening to us is we see the cross and what we recognize there is I in my rebellion and in my sin deserved his place, but he took it for me so that now Jesus stands at a feast with me and my brothers and sisters and says, I died to make a seat at the table for you. See, that's, that's, the, that's the, the nature of the sacrifice. That's the nature of the work that Jesus has done for us. That's the nature of the gospel is that what Jesus does there is he not only makes a way for us to him and to the Father, but he makes a way for us to be together, to be with one another. Hear these words. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. 
Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. Then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Let's confess our sins together. Almighty God, we believe that you are coming again in power to judge the earth. But we confess that we have not lived as those who daily expect your kingdom. We have spoken harsh words, thought impure thoughts, and lived casual lives. We ignored your promised judgment by not loving you with our whole hearts or our neighbors as ourselves. Have mercy on us and forgive us for all our offenses. In your tender kindness, embrace us with your fatherly love and fill our hearts with the joyful expectation of seeing you soon face to face through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers, hear these words of encouragement. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. <laughs> 